0: Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. We're going to be recapping UFC London, Jorge Masvidal versus Darren Till, and normally your co-host is Shaq. Unfortunately, Shaq is very under the weather. He's sick right now. He's in bed with the flu. I'm sick as well, but the man himself, my favorite MMA analyst, the man, Dan Tom, is joining me right now to recap Jorge Masvidal's epic performance. Dan, what's going on, man?
1: Hey, what's up? It's an honor to be back on Half the Battle. Thanks for having me. By my bummer, I miss Shaq. Hopefully, uh, shouts to Shaq. Hopefully, he's here and he's doing better. Cause, uh, yeah, it's, it's about it's about that time of the year where everybody's getting some.
0: Dude, we're all we're all sick right now. But the fans of Half the Battle. I mean, look, this fucking fight between Jorge Masvidal and Darren Till. Not only the finishing result, but what about up until then? You saw Jorge Masvidal get dropped. You saw just the tension building up, all the shit talk, and it was respectful shit talk, but both guys kind of let each other know that none of us is going to take a back step. I'm coming and knock you out.
1: Yeah, man, it was it was it was some streetwise warrior stuff. Even critics of Darren Till had to admit that you know, from the shape that he was coming in, like you said, the the moderate but kind of concise, you know, more focus. and and that blossoming into trash talk in the ring. Uh, I think everybody could tell how serious uh, it was, and I, I you know I, I think everybody knew Jorge was serious, and he certainly reminded him after. But but yeah, you're right, Dan. Uh, it, it was it was a serious affair, and you you love seeing that. You love seeing both fighters know exactly what they're in for.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it, and I'd love to recap this fight from the start of our memories of how this fight actually went down because – the opening bell starts, Jorge Masvidal charges at him, and what he meant to do was throw a sidekick to the knee just to kind of let Till know that this isn't going to be the typical fight where, you know, you do a little bullshit game plan and win a split decision against Jorge Masvidal because, as you know, the saying goes, Jorge Masvidal does get robbed more than a 7-11. So the fact that Jorge Masvidal went out there, threw that sidekick to the leg, it ended up being, a, you know, to the balls. It was a little low blow, but he, he meant to do it to the leg because he wanted to show Till that... I'm going to fight you right off the bat. This might be the octagon, but in my world, it's a street fight.
1: Yeah, I did like that move. You know, it, it was, uh, it, it, it almost was like, uh, it, it reminded me like what, what Stephen Thompson maybe would do if he had a rematch against Darren Till, like, all right, I'm going to use it this time, you know. But it actually reminded me of his, his Cuban buddy, Yoel, versus Robert Whitaker in that first fight, you know, coming out and just attacking Robert Whitaker's knee early and letting him know like, oh, I'm going to have answers out here as well.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And it's interesting because a lot of people have an opinion that that kick should be illegal in MMA. And I get where they're coming from in the sense that, you know, you can put someone out for a long time. But if we're going to go down that road, are we going to ban heel hooks too, Dan?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I'm one of those people that I don't like the kick, but I'll also be the first person that that, that says we should keep the kick. I don't see a problem with it. Um, I, I feel like it's something that can be countered. Uh, But yeah, you know, where I stand as far as, you know, you bring up heel hook and I know a lot of people bring up like leg locks or a knee bar. You have to earn those positions. You have to take a guy down, which is so hard in MMA. You have to work to that position and you are sacrificing a really bad position. Whereas Joe Rogan says you're going to get smashed on uh, while you're doing a heel hook successful or not. And it's very low percentage. Uh, whereas, you know, again, I, I, I come from, you know, karate and taekwondo and, you know, for what it's worth black belts in those. And there was a reason why the first kick we would teach would be a low front kick, not to the knee like that, Dan, but just a low front kick in general, because it it gives everybody the basic uh, definitions of a kick of a chamber, an extension, a rechamber and a reset. Um, That doesn't just apply for front kicks, applies for side kicks or things like, you know, as fancy as hook kicks, but you got to start basic, right? And whether it's some little kid that's coming into a karate program or kind of an older, awkward adult, those low front kicks are the easiest thing to teach people because it really requires no skill. So... I just don't like when people bring in, you know, submission arguments or concussive arguments because at that rate, you're right, Dan, kind of what you initially uh, were teasing. At that rate, we're just going to be banning uh, all the weapons. So I say let them stand, but I also see why
0: people don't like them, if if that makes sense. No, it 100% makes sense. I mean, you cannot like something, but it still be legal. Like, for example, this fight between Molly McCann and Priscilla Cachoeira. I I know you remember in that third round when I believe there might have been a cheap shot you know, yeah. they, were, they were trying to shake hands, and I think Priscilla might have hit her instead of, uh, you know, fake the glove touch. Now, the ref kind of paused the action there, and I tweeted out that a cheap shot is not an illegal shot. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. just because we don't like it doesn't mean that it's not legal.
1: I agree. I agree. And even for people that like that the ref did that, like, I could see why they would like it, but that's not the ref's job. Like, even though I would agree, like, from a moral arbiter— I agree from that moral standpoint, but that's not what the referee's there. He's there to keep the fighters safe, but he's not there to be a moral moral arbiter, you know, to make a stoppage like that. So you were right, Dan. Um, I, you know, technically he shouldn't have, he shouldn't have done that.
0: Yeah, no doubt, and obviously. The way that Yoel did it, the way that John Jones does it, the way that Jorge did it. People have an issue with that. But there's actually a use to whether it's the front kick to the leg, whether it's the side kick. When someone's trying to load up and throw a big power roundhouse at you, you can actually front kick them or side kick their lead leg to stop them right in their tracks, damn.
1: Yeah. And especially if you have like a mean question mark kick like those guys, especially like the John Jones, you could change direction midway. It really just becomes a disruptor because you're just, you know, that's why, like you said, these guys are doing it early in the fight. Why are they doing it early? To, to, to add to your point, Dan, they want to get that in your head. So if they
0: do change tactics, it's that much more effective. So yeah, you're totally right. like how can I commit to my strikes when this guy is fucking immobilizing me that I 100% agree with you now so after the low blow they restart and one thing I noticed right off the bat and this is something I've noticed in a lot of Jorge's fights is that dude his feints are so beautiful I mean he had Till biting on those feints from the jump and that's something that yeah you can go to the practice room you can shadow box you can work on your feints but the way that uh, Masvidal had Darren Till's rhythm his timing everything the way he read him with those feints was absolutely incredible to me and in my opinion was why he was able to subsequently set up the counters and in turn finish the fight
1: yeah i agree that was something that uh i kind of forgot about when i went back to do my comb through the footage and i also forgot about uh mid-fight you know um you forget about it because, you know, a mid-fight a mid because Masvidal gets dropped early. And now if you were doing your tape study or kind of looking into this fight, a lot of us probably remember Masvidal getting dropped early in, in, in a lot of his other subsequent fights. And I went to look back and I'm like, okay, a lot of these are at lightweight uh, majority. I mean, does that have something to do with that? That's been the definite talking point. But regardless of however much the weight cut has to do with it, which I do believe it does play a role. I'm not going to argue how much. I also believe that, like you said, Dan, it's he's so good at getting reads in there that, I, you know, you forget that that's why he's able to stay composed. Now, he wasn't, you know, able to uh, make the certain adjustments to win certain fights like Rustam Havilov early back in the day. But whether he was getting, you know, dropped by guys like, uh, surprisingly, like a Michael Chiesa or like a Darren Crookshank right hand, we saw him, like you said, Dan, read and adjust. So when I was watching live... You know, it's so hard not to get taken in by the moment, especially, you know, even if you're not in a, a, a an infectious crowd, like an English crowd, you know, that goes through the TV. So when Till drops Masvidal, even if you're a Masvidal supporter like myself, you're like, oh, shit, uh, this is bad. But then I remembered real time in the fight that back to what you said, Dan, was like, oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. He's getting his reads. This is this is bad that that Till wasn't able to finish him because now. Now Masvidal's got his reads, and, and we saw that. I think he he threw away a right hand and then hit him with a left hook was his best shot in the first round, and you could tell that keyed, keyed Jorge hand that the left hand was going to do it for him
0: later on in the fight. Yeah, 100%. And speaking of those in-fight adjustments that Jorge Masvidal made, obviously when he started off, he, he took the offensive right off the bat, but then as he started adjusting, he actually became a counterfighter in there, which was so cool that he was able to change his approach mid-fight, and it seemed like Darren Till... Had a very tough time adjusting to
1: that. Yeah, I, I wonder if he came in that you know ahead of time, seeing that you know it just obviously it worked so well with recency bias being Darren Till's last fight. Tyron Woodley kind of you know waited and countered him. So uh, you know you you wonder. I got to imagine that, that that they had some type of plan B in there. But you're right. He he to his critics I might say right. I think that's the criticism on Jorge Monsters all is that he doesn't adjust in fights, and that's the reason why. Uh he's losing and, and that that definitely is the the case for a lot of his earlier fights especially. But uh but yeah, to his critics, you're right, Dan. He he did adjust.
0: And obviously we gotta talk about that knockdown that initially happened because what's interesting about a guy like Jorge Masvidal, you know, we can talk about oh his name's Game Bread, comes from the street fights, this and that, but at the end of the day, when a man gets dropped and he's not unconscious, you can really see, you know, their their mental fortitude, their resolve and Jorge Masvidal's is the kind of guy, when you drop him, his butt hasn't even touched the mat. He's already smiling at you. He's already, he's already like, woo! Like, so just that mindset alone has to completely fuck with someone because it makes you think that if I don't kill this guy, I'm gonna die. And I feel like that's exactly what happened.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Especially with like the aforementioned respect that you could tell, even the guy that's very confident got a lot of bravado right like darren till even he knew who you was stepping in there with so to 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 your point when you knock someone down and they're smiling at you and they're back up and you've seen this story before yeah man uh i don't know what it did it it wasn't visible because you know in darren till's defense he didn't seem not turned on for that any at any point of that fight so i I don't know if it was visible but you got to imagine that's gotta that's definitely got to shake up a guy who is so reliant on confidence like darren is
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. And I heard an interview with Jorge, and while he was on the mat, what was going through his head was, if this guy lets me back up, I'm going to fucking kill him. And that's exactly what (laughs) happened. And obviously, like I mentioned, that mid-fight adjustment that he made, he went from being offensive to turning into a a counter-striker. And counter-striking has a great place in MMA, especially in a fight like this with a guy like Darren Till. You're mentioning his confidence, and 100%. I mean, I've had many people tell me, UFC fighters tell me that, This Darren Till confidence, this is not a front. This guy literally believes what he's saying. And I'm more referencing back before he fought Tyron Woodley, right? Back when he was the undefeated guy. You know, it's the gorilla. He touches touches you one time with that left hand. You're going out. You know, he was the welterweight McGregor at one point. It was was fun while it lasted. The, The issue here was that when that left hand wasn't landing hard anymore on Jorge, there was no adjustment. You know, because one thing that Till's been criticized for in the past was that he really tends to only throw those left side shots, whether it's the straight left, whether it's the left roundhouse to the body, right? And here in this fight, you know, there weren't any right hooks. He wasn't really setting up his jab. It was it was just the left side shots over and over again. Once Jorge made that read, it completely shut Darren Till's game down.
1: Yeah, and that became really apparent to me where it was, it was actually in the heat where, you know, even if you're a Jorge supporter, you're still kind of worried. He just got dropped, and Darren Till is still swarming him, right? Even though Jorge smiles, he, he's able to swarm him. And at a certain point toward the end of the first round, he gets into the back of the cage, right? And that's like the kill zone for Darren Till. You're like, oh, shit. Now he just has to measure him. And Darren Till, he's crowding himself a bit, but he's keeping him right at the end. And he lets go about one or two solid after that. But you see Jorge, who he's smiling, but he's still getting his wits about he actually doesn't do a level change, a sidestep. He doesn't change his level into a clinch and push the guy away to get space from the clinch. You know, any normal things you would typically do, he actually kind of keeps his right hand extended out there. And it's almost like, oh, this is bad. Like, you know, he doesn't look like he's out on his feet, but a guy maybe out on his feet, panicking almost out of there will kind of you know put his arms up like frankenstein just as a last effort and not that jorge was doing that but he does this weird arm extension and at first i'm like why are you doing that jorge you're opening yourself up but really that putting that right hand up and out it actually brings his shoulder up kind of like somebody a good boxing coach when they tell you to throw your jab or your cross your shoulder should be doing double duty and coming up by your chin to protect yourself and he's actually doing that and so if his right shoulder is protecting his right side that's protecting what Darren Till's left hand Jorge has almost no worry uh to the point you made and to the point Darren Till's critics often say he has no worry for the shots coming from the right side so even in a even in Darren Till's kill zone when he just got dropped when he's still technically in trouble Jorge is actually able to stay calm because he's only having to worry about one side and really
0: one area and those are the little subtleties that Jorge Masvidal brings to the table. He's able to completely shut a fighter's offense down. And, you know, I love I love the commentators. They're very, they're, uh, obviously, they know what they're watching. But I didn't feel like anyone was pointing that out, how he completely shut down Till's left side shots. And not only that, Dan, he got him to drop that right hand and when Jorge went to that southpaw stance for the finishing combo, you know, this isn't something that a traditional boxing coach is going to teach you, right? Most boxing coaches are going to act like what he did was technically wrong, but that's what made it so beautiful and so effective in an MMA fight. He switched that southpaw stance, closed the distance very fast. And, uh, that left-hand shot was all she wrote.
1: Yeah, that was, that was beautiful. I just, I, you know, jaw-dropping is one of those things that it, it we we say and we refer to. It's very overused term, obviously. But I gotta be honest, man. As a guy who hates using overused terms, there really is nothing. My jaw was literally wide open. Like I I was watching. Nothing was distracting me. It was just me in my room watching this, Dan. So I wasn't distracted. But it was just I I I wanted to instantly replay and wipe my eyes. I couldn't believe, and I was on Mossvedal. I couldn't believe what I just saw. My mouth was open too, by the way, just slack jawed and everything.
0: Yeah, I feel like there were a few jaw dropping moments that night, uh, especially that knockout, man, because, you know, when I was breaking down this fight on on the pre-fight show on half the battle, what I was thinking was, and this is what I said to my fans was that, look, Jorge is going to look like the better fighter out there. But, you know, I was thinking that, you know, people are saying Darren Till's a 205 or fighting at 70. I guess maybe that hype got to my head a little bit. But I was also thinking, well, I did see Jorge knock out some heavyweights back in the street fighting days. But then I was like, no, nah, but this is the UFC. This is completely right. different. Like He's, he's not going to do that here, right? wrong he fucking did that here so what was so intriguing to me and what where i was completely wrong was that look i like i said i thought jorge was gonna look like the better fighter but i thought that when till landed it was gonna just be more impactful just based on the sole fact that you know he's the much larger man there well it turned out that the smaller man had the more impactful shots damn.
1: yeah definitely dude and and you know, uh, the one thing I want to touch on re- before we move on to to, to the next fight, because you're 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 touching on it now, which is you know, the reads and they can get confusing and 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 dude, like I feel like I'm 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 more wrong than than right when it comes to these bigger fights. Uh, even though I, I feel like I put more into them as far as you know research, we're more familiar with these fighters, so naturally it feels like you put more. You're right, dude. That whether it's a, a size narrative or pick your narrative, you know you you got to be careful. Uh, those can, can, can bleed in. And I wanted to bounce one off you here, Dan, because again, I I picked Maslodal, but again, I I was genuinely surprised that way. Uh, I actually, as crazy as it sounded, thought he had a better shot of winning a decision or obviously submitting till, which isn't too crazy than knocking till out cold. But I did speaking of a cold knockout and narrative though, I did mention this. Um, I don't think I mentioned it on the radio show, but I mentioned it on my podcast when breaking this down and it, it, the definition came to me in real time, but we, we, the canary in the coal mine here is something I've had in my mind. And this is your game, Dan. So I really want to bounce this off of you. But my, my, my gambling kind of canary in the coal mine is whenever a guy fights for the title, Dan, it doesn't matter if he had a, a questionable road to that title and still gets washed. Once he gets to that title, there is a certain amount of rub that both the public and the betting odds makers uh give these people in their next time out. And I would argue that it is false inflation. And obviously that kind of describes uh you could crudely use that to crudely describe Darren Till's kind of position and rise. Uh which I'm a fan of Darren Till even though I picked against him the last couple of fights, by the way. I'm not uh, I'm not i I'm not one of these hard critics, uh even though he's not making it easy to praise him when he keeps coming out here and only using one side for the most part. <laughs> but I did, but I did mention that not only does he kind of coming off and getting that rub and I'm not even, I'm, I'm going to leave the England stuff out of this, but this is an English example. Think of Dan Hardy, GSP. He didn't have the most, ch- you know, he, he, we're not even sure if he won some of the decisions against the competition he had to fight in, in Welterweight's golden era to get the Georges title. And like, 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 uh, you know, and like, uh, UFC 228. I don't know if Dan Hardy really even had a moment against George St. Pierre. Like, I don't know if Darren Till really had a moment against Woodley yet, yet, their next fight, they're inflated. Granted, they're in their hometown. Dan Hardy's fighting in London, I believe in that maybe in that very arena, right? Uh, that, that that Darren Till did, and they're fighting, you know, guys who hardcore's know Carlos Condit, Jorge Masvidal, who are durable dudes. They're there to scrap, you know. Um, I was on, you know, Condit uh, as a fan, and I was not betting back then, but as a fan, but I wasn't, you know, expecting Condit to knock Dan Hardy out just like here. And sure enough, it's like the, you know. Uh, Uh, that that, that trap is set. Uh, Am I wrong? Am I seeing something there, Dan? Did you kind of notice this little pattern as well?
0: Dude, I think you're so right. And it's not even just the hype, rub that you were talking about where, you know, they lose that title fight, then the very next fight they're, you know, they're a very juiced favorite and they often underperform. But I mean, it's not just these examples, like the, like the British guys we were mentioning, Dan Hardy and Darren Till. What, what about Glover Teixeira? Well, I mean, we can go on forever. Even the yeah. guy you mentioned, Carlos Condit, same shit happened to him, man. He came back yeah. and lost to Johnny Hendricks' very next fight. So, well, actually, I got a question for you, man. Why do you think that is that when they have that title fight, it doesn't go their way? More often than not, they lose their returning fight.
1: I think that the real – I think that, that for one uh, – the real ones, which are most of them, because to to persevere, even if you get a quote unquote easier road, it's not an easy road to get that title. Let's let, let's face it, there's so many things that can go against these guys that they have to have a true belief in themselves, as cheesy as it sounds, Dan. So when you get there and when you lose, whether you're dominated or whether you're winning and you get knocked out, and I was winning until I was losing, I think that it really takes a toll on you mentally. That's hard to come back from for one. And for two, whether you're a real one or whether you're just a guy kind of there to collect a paycheck, I think that false inflation of the public and betting lines that we were talking about, I think that that goes on to even the best of fighters. Because even the best of fighters in the best of camps, what's going to be the number one narrative of pumping up your fighter for that whole camp, Dan? It's going to be. Yeah, dude, you sure you might, you know, don't be too hard on yourself, Dan, you got dominated by George, but dude, you were in there for 25 minutes and he couldn't finish you, bro. Or even if you were finished, right? It was Tyra. Dude, look at Tyron. He's smashing everybody, everybody else. You're going to smash. That's only because it was him, bro. And you'll win the next time out. He's getting all, you know what I'm saying? Because, and you can't blame a coach and and cornering team for doing that because your fighter just, he's in the lowest uh, of lows, you know, which sounds ironic uh, you know, you would think a guy on a three-fight losing streak is in the lowest of lows, you know, not necessarily. and, and But, uh, you know, a guy that just lost his dream, that's the lowest of the low. So the the stuff that you're going to have to feed your fighter to pick him back up can also act as poison. That's just my opinion, Dan.
0: No, that's so true, and it's a great point because the title shot, I mean, you're up against the champion. That's such a great measuring stick, and you feel like, okay, well, I only got dominated by this guy. You know, what the fuck does uh, – you know, fighter X have for me, right? You know, I just fought the champ. Like, I'm I'm the fucking man. So, and not to mention that guy that's fighting the former number one contender, he's as motivated as he's ever been because he's still on his come up. He's still on his ascension. He's still on his uh, upward trajectory. Whereas the guy that just lost the title shot might not be as motivated, might be bummed out that, you know, he didn't realize his lifelong dreams. So yeah, there's a difference in motivation. And when the skill levels are so close You know, just a a little slight more motivation, extra work in the gym can go a long way in these fights, Dan.
1: Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. Very well said. And yeah, something to watch out for going forward, especially if that fighter we're talking about looks like they're too confident heading into that rebound spot. You know, that might that could mean they're believing their own hype a little bit and haven't learned the lesson.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. So before we move on to Edwards and Gunny. You know, we got to talk about my boy Jorge Masvidal's second fight of the night (laughs) (laughs) at (laughs) UFC London. So, you know, he didn't just knock out Darren Till. He also uh, got a cut stoppage win over Leon Edwards, who is one of the top welterweight contenders around, man. So first up, I mean, what did you think of uh, the little badass display by Jorge Masvidal backstage?
1: Dude, I haven't seen uh, anybody land that clean on Edwards since that uppercut he took from uh, my man Barbarina. But uh, (laughs) but damn, dude, by the way, yeah, no, I saw that real-time and I was just blown away. And by the way, my my tweet was in real-time, people, so uh, that's why it says two-piece instead of three-piece because I just (laughs) caught up in the moment. I saw the one-two, and then I think I was was looking more at Leon's counterteep when Jorge's hook was coming up, but Jorge was ready to go, man. That was... That was real, man. That, and It's funny. People that have been watching and even people like myself, whether you've been watching a minute or you're, you know, I'm, I'm someone like I don't want to be like, again, Mr. Moral Arbiter, but I'm somebody who I'm not I don't really care about who's talking trash on who on Twitter and this and that. So you might think I'm against this kind of stuff. Oh, Dan's a traditional martial artist. He wants the sport to grow. Yeah, those are all true. But I appreciate the fuck out of that because that's real. It's not trash talk. You know, I respect that so much more than getting on Twitter or trying to make the make a big scene to promote a fight. I, I respect I respect that.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, this isn't, you know, some thugs, you know, acting like idiots in front of the camera. I mean, listen, Jorge was in the middle of an interview. He just got the biggest win of his career, arguably. And uh, Leon Edwards wanted to take a little shine, was talking a little shit. Jorge walks up to him with his hands behind his back to signal that, hey, I'm not looking for any trouble. But what was really smooth that Jorge did was he put his lead hand on the rail just in case, (laughs) just in case Leon wanted to try something. It turns out he did want to try something. He walked up to him with his hands up. You do not walk up to an OG with your hands up. And listen, man, it's one thing to talk shit behind a keyboard and this and that. And, you know, I'm not a pro fighter or anything like that. But, you know, since I am a an MMA personality or whatever, you know, if you even want to go there, I do have haters. You know what I'm saying? I got people talking shit about me all the time, but the issue is I don't really feel the need to respond behind the keyboard just because like where I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, we, uh, we settle those problems like men. And if someone really want, has something to say to me, come say it to me in person. You might get three fingers slapped, but just come do that. And I respect the fact that Jorge Masvidal handled his problems in person. He didn't say some shit like, Oh Leon, uh, we can we can fight in July. We can, you know, do. it. He's just like, you have an issue with me. We're gonna settle it right here, right now, like men, and move on.
1: A hundred percent, man. I, I second that, and I, I believe me, I'm not I'm not proud of it sometimes, but that's definitely how your boy here is uh is wired, and uh and so, so when I see fighters kind of getting flustered and on the keyboard in return, I you know. I, I don't feel the need to kind of attack them, but I also can get why it's very embarrassing and they're the point of that because, you know, it's two different cultures, but yeah, you're right. Uh, Take the high road or if that, or if the man's road is available, then I can't hate a man for taking the man's road because how many times do we hear people say, step up, say it to my face and 99.99% of the time, nothing happens. So that was a good reminder that, hey, be careful saying that people because you could be saying it to a Jorge Masvidal.
0: Yeah, and again, Jorge is not a guy that likes to, you know, do his talking behind the keyboard, man. Like, like I said, if Leon was just talking a little shit, Jorge would have talked a little shit back. But the fact that Leon put his hands up, started walking towards him, you just do not do that to a guy like Masvidal. You know, you just don't do that to a man in general. Now, whether that yep. man's willing to defend himself or not, that's a different story.
1: <laughs> and and I like Leon Edwards too, which I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll talk about here shortly. So it's not even anything against Leon Edwards, mind you. If anything, I think it actually makes a point that trash talk still is is bad because you look at a guy like Leon Edwards, who by all accounts is a nice guy. And when you see these guys do trash talk, when it's not genuine, it comes off awkward. Remember Leon Edwards had that, Weird post fight uh, after beating Sabota, and he called out Darren Till, and it was kind of like, it's kind of awkward. You're like, that's not really his thing. And I wonder if management, you know, he got a win. He's got this crazy winning streak, right? That he should be uh, proud of, Leon Edwards. I wonder if management got into his head, you know, kind of like maybe the, reminded me of that, like the Bader DC. Remember remember that? That kind of awkward. It, It didn't go into fisticuffs, thankfully, but it just reminded me, like, you know, when keeping it real goes wrong.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. My boy Dave Chappelle. I mean, look, I felt like, Leon's goal or intention or whatever was just you know say a couple words walk past them let's go back to our hotel let's do our media rounds no big deal but uh, like you said when keeping it real goes wrong that's exactly what happened now we got to talk about what's next for these guys look we'll start with Darren Till he's gonna have to take some months off but what I'm thinking man is what about him and Gunny Nelson because what's interesting to me about that fight is that it's another guy who's a little bit smaller for the weight class and Gunny Nelson. Gunny does have a specialty. He does have a skill set, which is obviously his jujitsu. jitsu And you saw in that fight with Darren Till and Tyron Woodley, even though he didn't land a single strike, he also didn't get taken down a single time either. So for that reason, Dan, that makes me really intrigued by the prospects of a potential Gunner Nelson versus Darren Till fight down the line.
1: I did not see that coming, man. You, I gotta admit, you, even though it should be obvious because it's from the same card, and we know the UFC matchmakers like to do that, which I think puts puts that one uh, definitely on the board. Um, yeah, it feels it feels like it uh, definitely. I don't know how I, you know. I, I would feel I, I would feel I, I would feel as a Darren Till supporter, although I could see him being favored and winning that fight. Um, yeah, I could definitely see the UFC matchmakers going with that one. I guess I'll just answer you back with the one that I thought uh, kind of ahead of time of Darren Till would lose. I think that it would either prompt him to a move to middleweight, which I think we all kind of also have to keep in the option list. But how about rehashing that that, that fight with Mike Perry now that he's got some losses? There, It's more of a maybe commensurate matchup. I, I don't see anything for Perry off the top of my head. Is he booked? Do you know, Dan? And what does, that, what does that sound like to you?
0: Dude, he's not booked. That's a fucking great idea because obviously they have that history, you know, the whole you want a spot. <laughs> he said yeah. he thought. He meant to go to the spa, but he really meant to spar, you know, it's funny, a little cheeky thing going on there. They can hype that fight up and you know remind me the last time you missed a Darren Till or Mike Perry fight, right? So I would definitely be intrigued by that. Now for Jorge Masvidal, it's interesting. You really gotta sit down and think about what you want to do with him. You know, because on one hand he was calling for the title shot. Now I know the hardcore fans are gonna sit here and be like, oh Colby was promised the shot and Jorge's only coming off one win. You guys are right. But are you telling me you wouldn't watch Jorge Masvidal fight for the UFC welterweight title, Dan?
1: I would watch that 100%. I think there would be like a homecoming of hardcores if that happened.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 100% about it. And no doubt about it. What's interesting to me about that fight, look, you got to favor Usman, no doubt about it. More physical guy, all that. But Usman's last fight with Woodley, and I'm not discrediting Usman at all even though I knew that fight was over 30 seconds in. As soon as Tyron went for that guillotine and failed, I knew it was over. But one thing I want to say about that fight, you know how Darren Till was criticized for throwing zero strikes against Tyron Woodley? Well, I'm yeah. going to criticize Tyron Woodley for throwing zero strikes against Kamaru Uzman. I don't, I don't even feel like Kamaru Uzman was in a fight. not sitting here saying that Jorge Masvidal is going to beat Uzman, but I will say this, Dan, at least he's going to fight him.
1: No, I get what you're saying, and that that saying tends to rub people the wrong way. But here's here's why I'm with you on that, Dan, because usually, you know, it's well, he had 25 minutes to. Uh, there, there's no excuse, and yeah, of course, there's no excuse. We're we're not denying who the champ is here, but I think kind of what you're saying, and, and maybe it alludes to a, a point that I like to make here is that going into that fight, like. Uh, Believe me, uh, I'm not I'm not surprised that Usman won. I'm not I'm definitely not mad about it. Uh, I like Usman uh, and was calling for a pressure style fighter like that to be the one to beat Woodley. But the reason why I guess I didn't pick Usman and I've ended up picking Woodley because when you look at Usman's career. He's rarely faced good strikers, and any of those good strikers weren't good counterpunchers. He still hasn't faced a good counterpunching threat. That's what I was excited to see in the Woodley fight. And to your point, yes, he did have 25 minutes, but we didn't really see the best Woodley. Now, I, I will 100% give the majority of that pie to Usman because of what Usman did. That being said, you cannot deny that we, whether you're Woodley's staunchest hater or biggest defender – You cannot deny that we didn't see the best Woodley in there either. So that is frustrating because I do want to see what Usman does against a guy who can counter, who does never, who never misses an opportunity to punch off the break, who is really active, mostly active in those small spaces where Usman, that many perceive, perceive, whether it's his head movement or defense, could be suspect.
0: Yeah, 100%. It's just no one's been able to capitalize on those openings. In fact, Warley Alves actually went out there and won the first round against Usman. But as you know, what's the mm-hmm. story of every Worley Alves fight that goes past the first round? Uh, you know, he gasses out, and that's what happened. Jorge Masvidal has never had a cardio issue. So, man, I, I would love to see that. But if that doesn't happen, t- tell me what you think about this. And I know some fans are going to be like, oh, this would never happen. Well, are you sure? Jorge Masvidal versus Colby Covington. Now, I know they're good friends. I know we've watched the tales of the grind. We've watched these guys wrestle in their apartment for an hour straight. They're boys, but, you know, some people that are friends won't fight because they don't want to crush their friends' dreams. Jorge Masvidal said he'd fight his own mom for the UFC world title. So, I don't think Jorge Masvidal gives a shit if the guy's his friend or not because his ultimate dream is to be the champion. And I respect that about him, man, because growing up, yeah, again, I'm not a UFC fighter or anything like that, but... I was always competitive with my friends, man. It was, you know, when we were playing baseball, when we were playing soccer, hockey, even video games, uh, I'm not trying to lose even if it's my friend.
1: Yeah, man. that's not, I, I would initially say you're crazy, Dan. You completely fucking lost your mind. They're never going to fight. <laughs> um, and I, I will say no for next, but you did mention kind of a caveat in there. Um, and I, I'm not sure how much of that, you, you know, um, is at play because because obviously Kobe doesn't have the, the, the real title uh but yes for a title I could I could see them two do, doing it for that um these guys are legitimate friends in person uh I don't you know I don't uh know no Jorge beyond the professional but but I've you know been able to see the other side of Colby of for what that's worth and yeah uh let's just say I could see that happening for a title and I won't elaborate with it on air, but uh, but uh, let's just say that I could actually see that happening more than some people might suspect if it's for a title because I don't think Colby uh, – I think, I think Jorge – let's just say I think Jorge is going to be in that division longer than Colby and we'll leave it at that.
0: Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, but it's better not to bring that out yet. But I agree with you, my man. So Jorge Masvidal, all we know right now is it's going to be a very big fight for Jorge Masvidal next.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, just real quick uh, before we move on, I just want to pitch my idea. I, I would say if they do do uh, Usman and and uh, Usman and Covington for the title, uh, book on the same card because it's nice to have those backups and whatnot. But book uh, Tyron Woodley versus Jorge Masvidal for that for that number one contender, where you know that the, the you know that they're not giving it to Woodley if he wins kind of fight.
0: I like that a lot. I, I do like it. The only reason I'm gonna sit here and I don't want to say argue, I'm gonna give a counter fight. Cool. You know is because, man, the last few weeks I've really been feeling this Ponzinibbio versus, versus Woodley fight in my mind. Ooh. Just something about it because... So, I know, right? What, what's so intriguing to me about that fight is that obviously you know the pressure of Santiago Ponzinibbio. You know, you saw what he did in Neil Magna I know Neil and Tyron different athletes, but you saw him literally keep him his back against the fence for the duration of that fight. And I'm not talking about clinching either, Dan. You know, it was simply his, yes. foot, his no. footwork, the way he cut off that cage. Now, Tyron Woodley, when the fight starts, he loves to back himself into that cage. So, automatically, the fight's going to be in Santiago Ponzinibbio's realm. Now, the big question and the big criticism for a guy like Ponzinibbio, a lot of people like to say that, you know, his striking defense isn't the best. He does get tagged a lot. We know Woodley lands that right hand on anyone. Chances are, it might be uh, lights out. So, for that reason, man, uh, Tyron Woodley versus Santiago Ponzinibbio, I want to fucking see that fight.
1: Oh, I'm 100% with you. Holy shit. Yeah, because... That'll that'll make him fight. That's one of those matchups that'll definitely make him fight. Not that Jorge won't, but that'll definitely make him fight. I mean, that guy is like a buzzing bee. And like like I always mention, it's so hard to get a guy to win in his home in his hometown and really get that pop. You know what I'm saying? And they were able to do that in Argentina. But partially, in my opinion, I think it was poor management calling, going for the poor poor stepping stone RDA. Just kind of, I think he was hanging on, trying to get that fight too long. I don't know what's going on inside the scoop, but they need to give. Nebio something so they don't lose that momentum. And that would be perfect, man.
0: No doubt about it. That's what I want to see. Well, co man event of the evening, you saw Leon Edwards taking on Gunny Nelson. We're going to talk about the performance here in a sec. But firstly, how disgusting was it that one judge scored that for Gunnar Nelson? I mean, I only thought he won the third round and nothing else.
1: Dude, that was gross. And I haven't re watched the third round, but I could see like a super contrarian mm-hmm. argument going, yeah he got the takedown that practically led him right into a dummy mount, but he didn't throw punches or do anything with that last 45 seconds. So if you were scoring the rest of the round for Edwards, I could even, i, I, I could, in other words, not that I, I still scored that round for Gunny, don't get me wrong, folks. I'm just saying I would sooner see a 30-27 Edwards than I would have thought a split decision for Gunny, if that makes sense.
0: It makes 100% sense, and I agree with that like all the way to the bank because I've always been an advocate of damage over – hugging someone right like yep. and, and don't get me wrong i got all the respect in the world for grappling jujitsu, jitsu wrestling you know i mean dan you know that firsthand you know who i right. am so yeah but, yeah 100 but, uh, but that's in the rules it's but, written
1: in the rules though but that being point. said
0: if i'm a judge right and two things happen one guy gets pieced up and dropped and you know the other guy got humped for a little bit i'm, I'm favoring the dude that's land, that's handing out that damage man so listen i 100 percent agree when you say that a thirty twenty seven is more viable than any than anyone scoring that fight for Gunnar Nelson. It's absolutely disgusting. What's interesting to me, that I believe the judge's name was Howard Hughes, and interestingly enough, a couple years back, he was actually escorted out of a UFC event for having a horrific call. I don't remember I don't remember what fight it was, but I saw an article come Whoa. out that he was escorted before. So that guy, Howard Hughes, I think that's his name. Uh, They got to get this guy the fuck out of there, man. You, we can't be having these old-timer boxing judges in here that are going to fuck everything up.
1: At least he waited till uh, the end of the card to submit his bad card. So he's like, oh, they're going to score me out this time. I already fucking sat for most of this
0: card. Dude, it's (laughs) disgusting. And I know we're going to get to that Jack Marshman-John Phillips fight here in a little bit. Oh, Jesus.
1: Yeah, that was was bad. You know,
0: it's one thing when a fight really is up for grabs. And, you know, after the fight, you're wondering who won. And it could go either way. But I felt like both of those fights, clearly Leon Edwards won. Clearly John Phillips won. I don't know what the fuck these judges are seeing, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to talk about those ones too because uh, – yeah, yeah, I, I mean th- th- there's two decisions I want to talk about because I, I hate to be the guy to jump on the robbery gun right away on Twitter. But after reviewing a little more, like I was like, yeah, I, I got an issue with the way those were scored, man.
0: Oh, I mean 100 percent and it's not even bias or this or that. It's just no, no, giving the guy their fair shake.
1: Dude, I was on the right side of two of the bad uh, decisions. You know what I'm saying? And they still like it was fucking made me scratch my head. Like I was like, okay, like we're lo- the I lost this
0: fight. <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Are you, t- you talking about Reyes by chance? Yeah, oh, well, you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that soon. Yes, sir. But, yes, sir. But real quick on Leon's performance, I mean. I've been so impressed with this guy, and I know for a lot of people, he might not be the most exciting because fans love to watch fighters that like to take risks, guys that, you know, blood and guts and this and that, but I have so much respect for the surgical point fighting that Leon Edwards brings to the table. And not only that, what about his evolution? Because this is a guy that when he first started off in the UFC, he was only a striker. He had, he had zero wrestling, 0 jujitsu. jiu-jitsu. You saw that Claudio Silva fight. And in the Kamaru fight, you know, it made some improvements. But ever since that Kamaru fight, I mean, I've called Leon Edwards the uh, Britain's uh, premier D1 wrestler. You know what I'm saying, man?
1: <laughs> Dude, no, I mean, that's true. He, uh, you know, uh, back in the day, I think Brad Pickett was, you could say, was the best wrestler from England. And he was already kind of transplanted at Florida by that time. But uh, but you're 100% right. And, and you know, what's funny is the ironic part about him having beef with Masvidal is maybe I'm crazy here, but I would always compare Leon Edwards to being like the English Jorge Masvidal, not in the sense that he came up street fighting or he's got the young veteran thing, but in the sense that he is just a super technical guy that is really underrated. And he reminds me of like what Jorge Masvidal would be if Jorge Masvidal was, you know, more boring, but but also more smart, more conservative, uh, fought more of a process uh, and and whatnot. Like that's what it kind of reminded me of. So it's kind of ironic that they don't like each other, but yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, for sure. He definitely is able to stay calm, calculated in there, and I love how well-rounded his game is now. Also, those straight punches, you saw what he dropped Gunny with. You saw his sprawl. You saw his awareness on the mat. I'm very impressed with a guy like Leon Edwards. Now it's a seven-fight win streak. Now there's there's no more fucking around, man. I mean, who who do you put him in there with?
1: I mean, yeah, that's that's a tough one. He deserves a he deserves a big name at this spot. I think they've kind of snubbed him and given him these co-main spots when they were trying to build up guys like Darren Till. So I feel like they owe it to him, uh, but they're not coming back to that market in a while. So they're really going to have to go out of their way to, I think, put him on one of these cards. And I wouldn't hate him even being in a co-main event slot slot uh, if you give him if you give him the right matchup. Uh, please don't give him a Damian Maya. You know, let Damian, let, if Damian Maya wants another fight, let him fight in Brazil against some can and let him retire. Like, I don't want to see like that fight per se, but I do want to see him against the name. If that makes sense.
0: It a hundred percent makes sense. And I think we have to have our first disagreement, my man, because right. when you look at these rankings, you see Leon Edwards, is number 10, Damian Maya's is number nine. I love Damian Maya too, you know, but all, the, all <laughs> these guys moving up towards the title shot, you don't just get a title shot without getting that uh, Damian Maya litmus test, you know that, dance. Yeah, it's true. The poor, these poor
1: Brazilians at welterweight, man, they're using like R.D. and Damian Maya as like those Super <laughs> Mario jump points to get to the next to the next level. But you're right. I hate to admit it, but yes. But you know what? That, you, that, that's you, what they do. That's true, and it, it's it's fair. It's just what happens. It's, it's, <laughs> the, way, it's the way of the the, the the Lion King,
0: right? The circle of life. You know how this shit works, but you know what? You just gave me a. Um, possibly better idea, you mentioned another Brazilian, Rafael Dos Anos, and he's actually ranked number 5 in the world, which is interesting to me. Shit, you want to move Leon up, what about Leon and RDA?
1: That's a more fun fight, right? That's definitely a more fun fight, more palpable. RDA's pressure is going to bring out the best in Leon Edwards, you know. Uh, It won't be, even though I appreciate a slower Leon Edwards fight, I don't necessarily hate the guy for it or anything. I don't think we'll get that if you put him against RDA, so I like that better.
0: So, Dominic Reyes and Volkan Uzdemir, first off, I scored that fight 29-28 Volcan Uzumir. I thought he won the first and the second round. I thought Dominic Reyes won the third. So, Matt, what's your initial impression on both guys' performances and what do you think about the scorecards? Dude, I uh it with the performances it, it's
1: tough. Uh obviously Reyes underperformed to what a lot of us thought. Even if you were picking Volcan, I would think that maybe you expected uh uh, different Reyes but you know there could be a lot of reasons for that I honestly think it's just we we see it right it's just the common thing it doesn't it doesn't matter whether you're on the undefeated streak and your first L hasn't come yet or not that you're gonna have those flat performances and sometimes you're gonna get away with a win on those flat nights and clearly he got away with the win but I had it scored um 29 28 for Volcan going in I'll be honest though man like I don't know what it was like I I got pretty good sleep. The card wasn't, like, ridiculously early Pacific time. But I actually nodded off for part of the round, the second round. <laughs> and woke up, which kind of said something about the pace and the surprisingness of the fight. And I'm like, oh, no, oh
0: Jesus. Jesus. I think the um, judges did, too.
1: Yeah, I think so, too, which which is what happened. Because if you go back, from my recollection, and then when I went back to rewatch this round, like, okay, about a minute, I would argue about a minute on, you, you really start seeing um, – Reyes mixing to the body with the counter left to the head. He's hitting counters. It's just that, A, judges don't normally award the counter fighter for the guy going forward. And not only was Volcan going forward, he was still th- throwing, uh, not all of them were landing, mind you, obviously. But in my opinion, he was throwing effective enough volume or convincing enough volume for the judges to earn that round. So that's why I wasn't reacting too harshly in Lifetime. And I don't know if I would call it a straight robbery now, but it was a bad decision, man. It was a bad, it was, it was, it was,
0: I feel like that's fair to call it a bad decision. Yeah, I mean, look, call it a bad decision. I know people don't want to use the word robbery that much, but listen, here's my opinion. You can go to the supermarket, you can steal all the first class steaks and fucking $300 worth of food, or you can go and steal a 50 cent Pack of sour patch kids, and guess what? You're still stealing. So I don't give a fuck if it was a close fight or a not close fight. Just because a fight's close doesn't mean that there's not a clear winner. And that's one thing that I feel like people need to understand. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat what I just said. Just because a fight is close does not mean that there isn't a clear winner. And I truly felt like Volkan Uzdemir earned that fight two to one, won the first two rounds, and it seemed like to me. Dominic Reyes was having issues with the power and the timing of Volkan Uzmir because any time that he would throw anything those first two rounds, he got countered with a big shot, made him kind of try to abandon his game plan and almost, I I say abandon, it's almost it it made him make an adjustment to kind of go to a more point-fighting style because you saw Dominic Reyes knock out his first two UFC, actually between you and me, he knocked out his first three because we all know he knocked out Ovin St. Pru in that third round. So he's coming off these three devastating knockouts and, Then he had a step up in competition. I know Volkan's stock might have dropped a little bit since his two losses, but let's be honest. Volkan's a guy that beat Ovin St. Preux on a week short notice. Volkan's a guy that knocked out Misha and Jimmy Manua in under a minute, right? Dominic Reyes is out here beating Jeremy Kimball and Joachim Christensen. So, you know, basically the guys he was fighting couldn't even hold Volkan Uzdemir's jockstrap, and then he gets that big step up in competition. I wasn't that surprised that it was a close fight.
1: Yeah, in hindsight, when you look at it that way, that's perfectly true. Um, when I was watching it, it felt like to me that Reyes, that another thing, you know, you get – you start progressing and, yeah, it's maybe a good sign. Reyes is, uh, you know, now he's full-time at elevation. I'm sure that's – there's more pros than cons. Don't get me wrong. But I think something else you see that could be attributed to a flat performance of when these guys when they're, they're – they're, they're having these learning experiences, Dan – is that it looks like he maybe comes in with a certain idea. Maybe that's just confidence, you know, from, from the false confidence. Like you said, he didn't face the best guys, right, to get those finishes. Or to me, it kind of looked like, too, that I think he was trying something somewhat new slash technical, and it got shut down real fast. And when it got shut down, it felt like he was lost in there, which kind of caused him kind of to search, and which is why it seemed like he was just point fighting to survive in there is what it felt like. It felt like he was just point fighting to survive live, which is why I scored it live and and – and watch back for, for Volcan.
0: Yeah, I think going in, he probably had the idea that, okay, I've watched Volcan's fights. When 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 they go past the first round, he does tend to slow down. You know, Dominic Reyes did this this camp in elevation with Curtis Blade, so you know he probably felt like, I have a massive cardio edge here. We'll let him gas himself out in that first round, then we take over in the second and third. And according to two of the judges, that's what happened. But according to me, I actually saw Volcan... You know He did gas out in the third round, but hey man, he had an extra five minutes of cardio here that he didn't have in his previous fights. I thought he went out there one ten minutes of the fight, then he finally did start to slow down, and it wasn't even a matter of him starting to slow down. I actually felt like that big knee from Dominic Reyes in round three was what did the damage.
1: I think so too, yeah, and and it's funny, he did start to slow down, and he did do the big big knee to get the damage, but again, even though I, I scored that round for Reyes, I, I wasn't you know, happy with his performance or felt convinced because it didn't feel like it, you know, it felt like some again, back to what it, it felt like he lost something in that first round that he couldn't get back. And, and a part of that could be being the bully. He's used to being the bully. And what we've seen with Ozdemir is, you know, even in his worst performances and losses, like, It it either took him gassing and a real to finish or a real guy to bring that attrition at the world-class level like Daniel Cormier. Like, Volkan didn't start off as Alistair Overeem's training partner for a reason. Dan, you know the footage I'm talking about. Alistair bullies the fuck out of his training partner. So if you're a repeat training partner that has Alistair's respect, that's got to say
0: something about you, right? Absolutely. And you just uh, taught me something new. I had no idea he was Alistair's training partner because I always thought he was – rumble johnson's main training partner so that's cool to know that he was actually in there training with alistair too because i know in the practice room it's going to pay dividends with a guy like that yeah
1: apparently alistair was the one that told him to get a start in mma he was just kind of getting in he was i think he was only a couple years into kickboxing in the dutch scene and uh alistair was a guy that made him those connections which i guess is how it
0: got down to the black zillions and that makes sense yeah it does make sense and man i mean vulcan he's been putting in work uh according to me He's 4-2 and two in the UFC, but now officially, <laughs> uh, now officially he's a 500 fighter, man. So what I was thinking for both of these guys, you know, they officially called Dominic Reyes the winner, but I think all the fans know that he might have lost that fight. A lot of people going into this fight were saying Dominic Reyes was the guy to dethrone the great John Bones Jones, and I've always disagreed with that sentiment since day one. I want to see the guy that they're calling a hype machine fight dominic reyes i want to see the guy that's so impressive that's knocking all these guys out in under a minute he's so impressive that people are saying he's a fraud that's how good this guy is i want to see johnny walker versus dominic reyes and i want to see uh the winner move up the ladder man holy shit yeah i would
1: normally be against these matchups uh you know i'm of the fan of keep him away let him get to the title when you need new blood and John Jones is going to be knocking him down. We need guys to set up, right? But in this case, because of the way the performance went, I think that's a great case. I think that's a fantastic case. It's going to bring the the uh, the best out of both guys. Not that you really... I, to be honest, I don't think you got to worry about Johnny Walker bringing his best. I think he brings Johnny Walker every time, to be honest. But we, I think we get the best out of Reyes. So I like that matchup, man.
0: Yeah, and I'm not one of these guys that's under the impression that Johnny Walker is just a hype train. I mean, you go back and you listen to my breakdown of his fight with Misha Sarkunov. You see the kind of respect I give this guy because I haven't only watched his UFC fights. I, I'm not under the impression that it's first-round KO or bust because I have seen this guy win decisions. I have seen this guy get knocked out on the regional scene brutally come back, put on a massive win streak, get to the UFC, and now he's reaping the fruits. Now he's going out there knocking these guys out in 30 seconds devastating fashion. But if you think that Johnny Walker hasn't been through it, I mean, this is a guy that when he was 3-0, and they were already putting him in there with UFC vets, Dan.
1: Yeah, 100%, man. Uh, I-, I was slow to come around on him. I think, well, two, you know, he fought two of my guys, Khalil being one, and... Misha Surkinov when he was training out here. And and I think, you know, it's hard to get kind of swept under the story. Misha was going through a lot. So I I wasn't surprised at that outcome, let's just say. But also that's kind of a little bit of stated bias as to why I was on the other side there. But technically speaking, both of those guys were southpaws. And I can't remember if it's uh, a – I can't remember which uh, UFC vet on the regional scene. But I saw that same shot kind of drop Johnny Walker to set it off. And I couldn't get that out of my head. So I think I, I played against him for those. But, yeah, no, I, I give this guy his respect because uh, since his Ledet win for me is what really blew me away. Because it, that, I think, is one of those wins because Ledet, especially now, not a great name. And you could be like, oh, he hit that on a just a crappy guy. But, you know, far from true, the, that's one of his most flashiest finishes. But it's actually one of the more technical ones with the way he set it up. Uh, you, know, you know, something that uh, a variation that I actually would try for myself as far as point fighting goes. But he did it and knocked the motherfucker out with it. Because uh, one of the best things to rebalance yourself from a spinning wheel or hook kick or just a straight-up hook kick in general like he threw is actually spinning back this. And that might sound – how do you fix flash with flash? That doesn't sound like it, it adds up, but it actually – it adds up fine. It actually cancels each other out because when you make a spin or when you make a hook kick, a way to count, counterbalance yourself – Uh, to your weak side is to actually throw that spinning back fist it gets you back on balance and if somebody is smart and savvy and they try to step off to your weak side to counter you that actually hits them and that's what we saw happen in that Ledet fight so I mean the dude isn't just being flashy to be flashy and I'll I'll be the first guy to try to take shots at fading those hype trains or those one-round knockout artist dudes but Johnny Walker's got me legit scared bro I'm excited to see what what this guy does
0: I mean, he's the real deal. If you go back and you watch his last 10 fights, you'll see the progression. The guy is no fucking joke. And I think you bring up some great points about that counter you were talking about because there's a counter to every strike, Dan. And you know this, man. I mean, for example, you throw a left hook to the body. Guess what? That left hook upstairs is going to be wide open for the counter. So I definitely agree with where you're coming from there. And as far as matching them up, I said Dominic Reyes versus Johnny Walker. Now, hear me out on this, man. What do you think about Volkan Uzdemir versus Saperbeg Safarov? Oh, shit. I like it. I like that one a lot. You got to give
1: Cyberback a, a, a fight because you know technically he won there, and uh, and uh, yeah, that's a great that's a great pick me up for for Volcan. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, and it's something that you know I'm sure the matchmakers won't hate because they're always looking for filler on their on them damn Europe regional cards, right?
0: Yeah, they 100% are, so let's let's see something like that, man, but look, this bantamweight fight between Nathaniel Wood and Jose Quinones, Woo! man, I love the emerging bantamweight division, all these up-and-coming kids, you got Peter Yan, you got Ricky Simone, I even, I like Alejandro Perez, I know he's coming off a loss, I got a lot of respect for him too, Robbie Font, there's so many of them, and obviously, you saw what my boy Pedro Munoz did at Cody Garbranch, so... The oh, bantamweight division is looking more exciting than it's ever been. And Nathaniel Wood, you know, he's a guy who comes into the UFC. Because you saw that one-round fight he had in Cage Warriors where he was almost out. Then he knocked the guy out, and it was absolutely incredible, so epic. Then you saw that parlayed with the, the Johnny Eduardo fight. So he took a lot of shots. People had the impression that, oh, he might be this, you know, he's Brad Pickett 2.0, right? But those last two performances were so, so precise, so surgical, so strategic. I think this guy's a top-ten guy right now. And I think he's ready for the Dodson test.
1: I wouldn't hate the Dodson test at all. I would be careful about testing him too soon because to me, he just recently turned the corner that I was looking to see if he could fight smart. Um, that's what I was kind of worried about. And uh, I think that's why, you know, we saw maybe lines against guys like Andre Ull a lot closer than they were because I think we all were, you know, even if we were like Nathaniel Wood or were aware of him, like I was from Cage Warriors, we were also aware that the guy, you know... Um, takes damage and victory and defeat. And that's all fun and all. And, and I love guys like, dude, his mentor is one of my favorite fighters ever, Brad Pickett, speaking Mine of weights,
0: right? He beat yeah, Demetrius I mean, Johnson, by the way. Absolutely. But
1: also with Brad, even in Brad's quote-unquote prime, he was just as prime to lose a fight anytime he stepped in there because of that wildness. So that's what I was kind of worried with Wood. But I feel like these last two uh, performances, regardless of who they were, the fact that he showed – a good process speaks speaks huge volumes to me. Uh, I, oh, yeah, I'm on the wood train here. I'm really really happy with what I see
0: from the kid. So you in for this Dodson test or what?
1: Yeah, I, I signed me up for that definitely. Uh, and uh, you know, I I don't think I don't know how much that's gonna motivate Dodson, but I don't think Dodson necessarily deserves those big fights right now with the motivation that he shows he's been putting in a fight. So it's for him. It's either you know you're tired of these no namers, this, this perceived disrespect, and then, then get out there and remind them, John.
0: Well, Dan, you know this ain't about Dodson, right? <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. It's not about Dotson, but I'm just,
1: you know, just saying. If you know, to, to, as far as pitching it, p- p- pitching it to someone like him would go. I don't, I don't think he'd be excited to fight some other some, some young prospect. But you got to pitch it to
0: these guys somehow, right? This is very true. But he's coming off a, a loss, so he doesn't really have a choice in the matter. And for Jose, yeah. for Jose Quinones, he was initially supposed to fight Sean O'Malley a while back. You know, I think he's got to take some time off after the loss. I think by the time he comes back, Sean O'Malley will be back. Let's see him run that fight.
1: That would be awesome. Yeah, it's it's definitely it'll do a lot more for him than uh than my lame idea of just having them uh which I, not my lame my lame idea I could just see the matchmakers doing this maybe they give him the rematch against they got they they got some spots to fill in South
0: America and they give him a rematch against uh old uh, Alejandro Perez. Uh, you know I'm down to see them running again because you know they actually uh that wouldn't be the first time, excuse me, that wouldn't be the second time they fought. They'd be the third that's time. That's right, cause... third
1: time, yeah. They fought in the regionals. Yep. Yeah, yep. that's Teco
0: right. got the first one on the regionals, Alejandro got it in the UFC, so let, let him settle that trilogy. I kind of feel like Alejandro's a little bit ahead of him because he had that, you know, I think it was a seven or eight fight on yeah. streak in the UFC. But regardless, I will not ever turn on a fight. You know, I will not never watch a fight between uh Jose Quinones and Alejandro Perez. So sign me up for that. What I want to talk to you about, my man. What about this guy, Claudio Silva? I mean, listen listen to this shit, man. His jujitsu is so fucking good that he literally can bail himself out of any situation with it. It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, it's insane, dude. Like, this guy is uh, one of those guys that you can't, like, uh, it's hard to explain, like, I guess just, like, he's almost on my own personal avoid list because even when I'm picking him like I was, I picked him for this fight, I... I You look at his fights, man. It's just like you're really surprised that he's been able to hold this streak for as long as he has. Granted, there was a huge layoff there. I'm not talking about that. But just in general, with that aside, like he's one of those guys, at least for me, uh, I don't know about about you, Dan. But for me, he's one of those guys where like he's going to be a difficult matchup for a lot of people. I'm starting to kind of get the cut of his jib. But he's definitely one of those guys you can't decide on face value, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, 100%. Because, I mean, you see his striking. It's like the ugliest thing you've ever seen. But then two seconds later, he's in full mount, and you can't get out. And, man, not only that, not only is Jiu-Jitsu amazing third-degree black belt, what about the guy's fucking resume? Beat Leon Edwards. Beat Danny Hot Chocolate. Finish and Taleb in the first round. Beat Brad Scott. So, I mean, Claudio Silva's going out there. He's beating four legit UFC vets. And uh, let me know your opinion on this, man. So, tell me what you think about this matchup. Because, Claudio Silva, you can make an argument... Might have the best jujitsu in the welterweight division. I know Damian Maya might have an issue with that, of course. But at least top three, right? So we'll put him there. Top yeah. 3 jujitsu guys in the welterweight division. Well, you know who I think is one of the top three strikers in the welterweight division who's up and coming? What about Jeff Neal versus Claudio Silva? Because I want to know. Either Claudio is going to get knocked out of this day standing or if this hits the mat, Jeff's getting tapped out. I want to see Claudio Silva versus Jeff Neal.
1: Fuck yeah. I did not see that one coming at all. But yeah, definitely, uh Jeff Neal, uh, he's definitely going to, if you're not going to give him bigger names, uh, if he's not ready for that, you got to give him a fun fight so he can build his name. And Claudio Silva proved that even with a proverbial striker, obviously Roberts has has more to offer than that. Um, He still makes for a fun fight. So I'm definitely all for that, man.
0: Yeah. And as far as Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts, uh, always a tough out, man. I I always love watching that guy fight because win or lose, he fights with his heart. He's always exciting. I mean, this could have arguably been fight of the night if Till and Masvidal weren't on the card. So, you know, regardless of who Hot Chocolate fights next, I think he's got a bright future. And what I'm actually looking at for a guy like Danny Hot Chocolate, you know, win or lose. What, what about someone like Alan Juban or Dwight Grant? I know those two are fighting in Atlanta, Georgia, UFC 236. And I'm cool with Danny, Danny Roberts versus Dwight Grant. I'm also cool with Danny Roberts versus Alan Juban. What's your opinion?
1: I like the Joe Ban fight better. I think it's a more fun fight. I, I think I think that Dwight like, Grant it'd be a uh, Danny Roberts kind of poking and prodding until he just gets knocked out by one big shot. <laughs> would be my initial feel like for that fight. Yeah, yeah. So I would say out of those two, I, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. you right? And I like Joe Ban too. Don't remind me. So in, out of those two, yeah, give me my two my favorite uh, slick southpaws and let them go at each other. A uh, more Muay Thai based one versus a more boxing based, kickboxing based one that would be fun. Or if your matchup of Gunnar Nelson Till doesn't get put together, I say give Gunnar Nelson Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. Let him let him revisit the submission hurdles, but you give him that name as a as a reward because he was really looking to put a run together before that loss.
0: Oh, dude, that's a great matchup too, Gunny versus uh, Hot Chocolate. I'm all for that and just to touch on the jujitsu of Claudio Silva because I saw some people criticizing him like how do you have a locked in arm triangle and not let him get it but look Danny Hot Chocolate is as tough as they come he's super athletic he's strong he mm-hmm. was doing the proper defense I mean you think this guy's just gonna give up right away you know what I mean so the fact that Claudio Silva didn't get that to me what's more impressive is you know he might you see a guy like Rusimar Palhares and obviously he can rip off anyone's leg no doubt about it but Oftentimes, when he wasn't able to get that first round submission, you know, he'd ball up and let you pound him out real quick. First round TKO for the opponent. Whereas a guy like Claudio Silva, he tries his hardest to get that submission. And if he doesn't get it, it's not going to be like, all right, just, just pound me out real quick. I'm going to cover up and let the ref intervene. No, he's going to fucking go to plan B, go to plan C, start rolling for leg lock, start fucking attacking guillotine, start Kimura sweeping. He does the whole bit. He, I'm so fucking impressed with Claudio Silva's jiu-jitsu game, man. I could watch it uh, all day.
1: Yeah, I love it exactly because, like you said, whether he's got a kimura, he's using it to sweep. He's got a guillotine, he's using it to sweep. Um, he he fails for the takedown and the guy limp legs out. He he ankle picks the legs, dives his legs under, you know, will attach it for like a attach it for a heel hook, but not go for the heel. hook. Use it just to trip the guy up. Come up, try to get his back. You know, like it, it's it's that kind of jujitsu. He's always chaining. Which is perfect for MMA because, yeah, you're going to miss submissions, but if if your greater goal is to get the top position, then that's okay because how many times in MMA, sure, the submission can end the fight, but that false promise leads you to a bad position so many times. So the fact that he's using the threats of submissions to get his position on these guys, it's awesome, man.
0: We talked about Jack Marshman, John Phillips. I took the John Phillips plus 160. I thought I won that fight, but I will never, ever complain about getting robbed because controversial decisions are part of the sport, and I'm in this shit for the long haul. It's just one bet on one night, part of the the deal. But one thing I will say is when John Phillips dropped him in that first round and didn't follow up, it was at that moment, Dan, that I knew I was fucked.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's I think a lot of people had that sentiment, and you could see that on Twitter as well. Like, Did this guy just give this fight away? I think you know, our own Dave Doyle was like, should I just start typing? Type, <laughs> tweet H. Well, he's like, should I just start typing up John Phillips knocks Marshman down, gives fight away? But the problem yeah. was is that the judging, again, this is respect to how bad the judging was, that despite how bad that decision was by John Phillips, the judging still made, uh, took the storyline here, right, Dan? Because I still feel like despite John Phillips making poor fight IQ decisions that Marshman was just too scared of the power where he I felt like he was Holly Holm air punching for most of the round. I had a hard time scoring for him. Is, is that – am I wrong there?
0: Dude, it was amazing seeing Jack Marshman do his best Elias Theodoro impersonation in there, do a little Marina Moro's uh, grunt and run, man. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. And, hey, good on him. Smart idea by Jack Marshman, because if I was coaching Jack Marshman and we're fighting John Phillips, we know John Phillips, 25, first round knockout, something like that. Fuck standing and banging with this guy. If I had, you know, something more to work with than Jack Marshman, I'd suggest taking him down. But since I know what Jack Marshman brings to the table, hey, hit and run, point fight, perfect job. So what I'm thinking, Dan, I'm thinking, now. hear me out on this, my man, I'm thinking Jack Marshman versus Edmund Shabazian and John Phillips versus Darren Stewart,
1: I love both those fights. Holy, those those fights are perfect for each other. Phillips and Darren Stewart are, are really perfect for each other because, like, Darren Stewart is like the more tenured kid wearing the dunce cap in class because he w- wasn't able to learn the grappling. You know, he's like, oh, it's okay, John. I've been here a lot longer than you, bro. Come, mess yep. up to me, buddy. Yeah, yeah, let those guys scrap it. <laughs> That's so crew. But then you got, you know, Jack Marshall. And I love that Edmund Shabazian versus Jack. That's a perfect fight uh, right there. Holy shit. Let, 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 let the sweat begin.
0: Hey, Sean Shelby, Mick Maynard, if you like these matches I'm making, just hit me up. Daniel Levy, Atlanta, Georgia. I'll see you at UFC 236. Well, Dan, Arnold Allen defeated Jordan Rinaldi. And I know for a lot of casuals and just people that want to see blood and guts, it might have been kind of a boring fight. It wasn't a boring fight for me at all because what I was so impressed with, how fucking good is Arnold Allen's distance? And the reason I bring that up is Jordan Rinaldi is a guy that, first of all, you saw his fight against Jason Knight. Took him down at will. Three straight rounds. Also, you saw uh, Arnold Allen, you know that he's been taken out 12 times in his UFC fights prior to the Jordan Rinaldi fight. So, you know, going into that fight, conventional wisdom, Jordan Rinaldi, duck under, take this guy down, grind him out for the duration of the fight. Well, listen to Arnold Allen, listen to the maturity and the improvements and the evolution of Arnold Allen's game. His distance was so fucking good that Jordan, anytime Jordan tried to shoot, it was always from a mile out, it was always telegraphed, it was never even close. Arnold Allen's distance is insane, and I guess that's a credit to his maturity.
1: That's exactly distance and discipline. I'll, I'll add, but distance is the perfect word because because of the takedown threats, and because he's a southpaw. I mean, that should be his inherited advantage. And you know, yeah, he, you know, if you want to, you know, do the stereotype, he's an Englishman, but he's an athletic Englishman, and he's actually worked on his wrestling. You can see the improvements, albeit most of them in the offensive and scrambling department. It was the defense that kind of worried me. That's why I picked Mads Brunel against him, which didn't look like a bad pick after all, even though he ended up uh, till the third round, right? And then I was like, you know, I actually was still leaning toward Allen coming into this fight, but maybe because Rinaldi got the better of my, my best judgments in past fights. You mentioned the Jason Knight one, and, and you know what this guy can do. I was like, you know what? I think he can wrestle again. And on the feet, even though I see Allen piecing him up, you know, Ronaldo's kind of inherits a little bit of that karate style where he can hop in and out. So at least he's not, you know, he doesn't have to be, you know, uh, sacrificing to the wood chipper if he's not getting his wrestling off. But yeah, man, uh, I, I, I was wrong there. I took the shot on Ronaldo, but, uh, but Allen, man came, came out and fought kind of how people have been watching him for a while. have been wanting him to fight. So all, all props to Allen there.
0: Look, they've been trying to match up Arnold Allen and Gil Melendez for, like, the last uh, year or so. Yeah. And, uh, guys, I want my fucking money. So let's see Arnold Allen versus Gil Melendez, please, and line it under 2.5 to 1, please.
1: Holy shit. That's a
0: good spot there. (laughs) So Mark DeCasey rebounded from three straight defeats against... Irish Joe Duffy, and I actually bet Mark DeCasey at plus 165 odds here. Now, I didn't think it was going to be a fucking domination like it was. I thought it was going to be 1 1 heading into the third round. DeCasey gets that takedown, seals off the, the fight, wins that way. Well, he went out there and owned. Joseph Duffy from bell to bell, the reason I bet DeCasey was, it was almost a leap of faith in the sense that, look, the Casey's coming off three straight losses, his back's up against the wall, you know, uh, John Kavanaugh talks about that win or learn stuff, well, there was no win or learn with Marta Casey. it's win or go back to the motherfucking regional scene, right, whereas Joseph Duffy, I mean, the guy beat McGregor a hundred years ago, he's already had his big fights with Poirier and Vic. so he's, already, you know, he took a year and a half off after the Vic loss, which is not the first time that he's taken a year and a half off after a loss, by the way. So I kind of had the assumption that he might have. I didn't know he was far gone to the point that he was, but I thought that he might have kind of, you know, been considering retirement, considering his other options. So I took the Casey for that fact. Well, holy shit! The Casey went out there, and the calf kicks are so immobilizing that it literally takes away all the confidence and offense of your opponent.
1: Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about something like we said? You know, it looked like something spooked Reyes early in the fight and got him off his game, but there was no questioning what got Joseph Duffy off his game uh, 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 here in this one. And yeah, that's the one I wanted to ask you about, man. Props on that pick. I was on the other side here. I, uh, you know, definitely, you know, as we do the math here in retrospect, it makes sense. And total, yeah, I don't don't disagree with what you're saying. I guess I just got, you know, got caught up in, I have always like Duffy, I don't know if I got caught up in the hype per se with the McGregor win, but I, you know, just watching his fights against Lapalus and Cage Warriors and like seeing like, oh, this guy's super technical. But when you actually step back and you look at his resume since he's gotten in the UFC, you know, it's true. You know, like I I was I did. I think I took him against Poirier uh, in that fight, as, at least as far as a pick. I don't know if I played him or not, but that one, even though he lost, it wasn't surprising because Poirier, you know, it was Poirier. And then you see where he's gone since uh, Poirier's only went upwards, whereas Joseph Duffy, even if you're a Duffy supporter, you can't say the same thing. And those chickens kind of came home to roost in this fight. And I guess got caught up in that narrative where you just see a guy, not just the, you know, he's three losses and out, but also, uh, you know, the theme for me of this card was, and it didn't hold true in this fight, at least for, it held true, you know, it held true for Joseph Duffy, but not for Dia Casey. You're proven right there. But I said on this card, there's going to be a lot of guys, Dan, who are prospects or uh, contenders, two different things there. But I think we're gonna. I think they're gonna take losses, and we're gonna look at them a lot different after this card. And I think that is true for a lot of people. Um, that is not true for Mark De'Akcey. Mark De'Akcey actually reinvigorated kind of flame into his light there, because again, not just the three losses, but I wasn't really seeing a process from De'Akcey, and you know, and this is the problem with wearing the quote-unquote analyst hat too much is that uh, me and i know notice a lot of people in my position will often take guys with process more than we will take guys that are maybe opportunists right and to me d casey felt like more like an opportunist like you're right he can win that he can win those third rounds if he has to we saw it against uh, what's his name frankie, frankie perez um you know but you know I, I just wasn't sold in my mind joseph duffy say all you will was still above those guys and uh it didn't matter man d casey uh, came out and and hit that kick but more importantly was it was was fighting really good and smart overall. He looked really good in boxing range. I was just impressed with him.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And what's interesting is I heard an interview with DeCasey and he was talking about how he actually wanted to get cut because he felt like, look, I'm just a kid and maybe I'm not ready here yet. So, he felt like he wanted to get cut, go get a couple wins, get some experience on that regional scene, then come back. UFC were like, "Look, man, you're a talented kid. We'll give you this Duffy fight. We'll see what happens." Well, he performed. I mean, look, 30 27 on all three judges scorecards. So now he just uh, cemented the fact that he is a UFC lightweight fighter. He's not going back to the regional scene. So what I'm thinking is next for Mark DeCasey. Initially he was supposed to fight Stevie Ray. I say rebook that fight again. And for Joseph Duffy, tell me what you think about this. How about Joseph Duffy versus Polo Reyes?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't see those fights either way, but like those are those are fights I won't say no to. Absolutely. Um Definitely, uh, that'd be a fun fight for for, for, for that'll make you know. Poyo Reyes will make Joseph Duffy fight, that's yeah. for sure. So yeah, yeah, let me do it. Sign me up.
0: Yes, sir. So now we're gonna have to speed through these to get you out of yep. here on time, my man. So All good. Quick note on Saperberg Safarov. Listen, that ref was absolutely disgusting. If that was Mark Goddard, and I talk a lot of shit about Goddard, but one thing I'll say about him is when he is refing on UK soil. Aside from that Cheeto Vera versus Davey Grant fight. When he's refing on UK Soul, uh, how about this? When he's refing and there's not a British fighter in the cage, he usually does a good job, right? So uh, yeah. if he was refing that Sapperbeg versus Nikolai fight, I felt like he would have taken three points, maybe even DQ'd Safarov. But aside from that, Safarov owned this guy.
1: Can I can I give my quick Mark Goddard too by the way like you you're I absolutely co-sign what you said by the way and 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 of course I of course you you know me I I listen uh subscribe to to half the battle although I'll be honest I I've cut down my MMA podcast listening to. Very minimal, especially with 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 shows like yours, because I don't I don't want anything to bleed in. I, I call it my dessert, Dan. So I definitely am aware of your 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 your, uh, your Goddard talk. But one thing I don't see, whether it's from from your your Twitter, and, and obviously you guys know this, but uh, whenever, whenever we do our Goddard impression, it's always like, uh, listen, listen. Oh, my octagon. This is my but one, my favorite is Doctor doctor like nobody calls the doctor more like like somebody's bleeding proficiency like something's wrong than mark goddard right but then but then once the doctor goes comes in he just goes tell me he's all right tell, and i'm just like if I'm, i just want once the doctor to go but don't you want me to actually examine him but tell me he's all right he's all right all right we good are we happy all right then and then he like moves in. Like, I love like he doesn't even let the doctor do his job he's
0: just tell me where right. i was like that's actually not my job mark tell me we're happy guess we're happy. All right, then. <laughs> like, <laughs> Dude, the best was when he was reffing that Jack Hermanson versus Talus latest fight. And, you know, Jack Hermanson, like, breaks his rib. He's making faces. And, you know, other reps might have even gone in there and stopped the fight <laughs> due to TKO injury. And uh, Goddard, you know, because, you know, Jack Hermanson's got that history on the Euro regional scene. Goddard's, like, telling uh, Hermanson's corner, do something about his rib. You know what I mean? So thank you very much for that one, Goddard. I appreciate it, my man.
1: Yep, yep, and 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 not to sorry about that side diatribe, but I, I know we, we have our appreciation for that. But yeah, back to this fight, just real quick. It was awful. Uh, I I wouldn't have been mad at a DQ, although I'll be honest, I had money on the dog here. Um, I just felt like Saparov was was still more proven than this Nicholas uh, Nikolai Negu Marianu guy who fought all his fights in Romania, pretty much all against losing competition or debutants. And even though it, it's not right, and again, I wouldn't have been upset bet included if sapper bet got dq'd i'm not gonna lie part of me didn't feel too bad because if you watch the footage on nikolai you'll see that he's the dude punching to the back of the head and fucking (laughs) punching after the bell and bullying dude so it was kind of a little bit of justice served oh so he's saying the bully got bullied just that's what I'm saying. He got he got welcomed properly to the UFC. The the bullying of the Saber introduced him to the high level high level cage grabs and and cheating. We we, we know he's not the first uh, Russian guy to be grabbing those fences. You know that, Dan.
0: Look for Nikolai to apply that in his next fight, Dan. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so Dan Ige ran through Danny Henry. Dan Ige has been super impressive and just a you know. Just to get down to the bottom line, my man, I'm thinking Dan Ige versus the winner of Sodiq Yusuf and Shaman Mirai. Look, Dan Ige is known for his grappling, amazing jujitsu. jitsu Shaman and Sadiq are known for their unbelievable striking. Let's see that fucking classic clash of styles.
1: I like where you're headed. Uh, as a fan of Dan, I'll just say that uh, I like the uh, I like the Shaman Mirai's matchup better, even though he is the more well-rounded and proven commodity. If you have to put a gun in my head between him and Sadiq, I feel like Sadiq's a little more of a dangerous fight there. Um, I feel like, yeah, the Shaman Marais would be a more commensurate matchup. I, I feel like, and I feel like Sadiq is one of those dudes where you could just put him not against, uh, uh, you know, a can, and there's not too many really those in the UFC, but I would just say, I, I still see Sadiq in that, put him in a commensurate matchup, but put him in a spot where that could speak loudly, if that makes sense. He doesn't need to be getting any, any, uh, not names cause Danny, is not a name, but I wouldn't even say mid tier challenges yet. Just, just get, get a guy like Sadiq in the spot to shine and then go from there.
0: Yeah, I feel you on that, no doubt about it. I didn't know Ige was your boy. I was actually looking out for my boy, so D got that one, right? So, (laughs) I I feel you 100%. But but Ige is on a three-fight win streak. He's looking amazing. But, dude, this new guy, Mike Grundy, or as they like to say in the UK, Dan, Mike Grundy. He's. uh, I'll tell you this because I just thought he was a a wrestler, you know, competed at the Commonwealth Games, bronze medal, all this. I was just like, okay, you know, maybe he'll hump the legs, maybe not. No one told me Mike Grundy had striking too, Dan.
1: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect that at all, man. I mean, um, you know, uh, uh, my, my take was more just, you know, it would be the wrestling and transitions that would fuck up NAD, but I didn't know about the striking, dude.
0: Yeah, it was very, very impressive. And what I'm thinking for him, I got two options. Okay, if you want to take it slow, there's another really good prospect in that weight class. His name is Chris Fishgold. I could see Chris Fishgold versus uh, Mike Grundy. That's very good. But if you were as impressed as I was with that performance and you want to go ahead and give this guy a test and you want to see what he's really got. What about Mike Grundy versus Calvin Cater?
1: Shit. Shit. Yeah. I mean, wow. That's a, that's a big step up. And we're getting okay. given Calvin Cater another Brit, huh? Yeah, um, all right. I-, I wouldn't hate it, but uh, to be honest, I-, I would actually like different matchups for each of the guys. And I, I- and to be honest, I could see them going that way. Uh, Calvin Cater, I think, has put himself enough on the, the radar. He's a real holds himself real professional. Spoke gladly with his performances. I think the matchmakers won't hate putting him over in U.S. soil. I, I don't think uh, keeping him in U.S. soil for the next one. And I don't think Grundy they're going to be sending him out yet. I think he's definitely still going to be a guy that's going to be popping up on the European cards before he gets
0: anywhere. So fish gold and Grundy. Yeah, let's do that one. You know, for Cater, ideally, I want him to fight the winner of Emmett and Michael Johnson, but for some reason, they keep giving him, you know, unproven guys. They're not moving him up. So if they're not moving him up, that's why I suggested Grundy. But ideally, I want him versus the winner of Emmett and Johnson.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. A uh, Team Alpha male, they do love to uh, gang up, pick one guy and try to gang up and see how many, <laughs> see how many, if they can get more wins and losses against them. That seems to be a game of theirs, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it does. Well, damn. Thank you so much for joining me on this very special Jorge Masvidal vs. Darren Till recap edition of Half the Battle. Always a pleasure to talk to you, man. We'll have to do another one of these soon. Let my fans know where they can follow you and anything else you want to plug, go ahead.
1: I appreciate that, man. A- anytime. Uh, I made, made the time just for you this morning just because, just uh, again, man, p- people can talk shit all they want, but y- you, Shaq, Kyle, you guys are some of the most consistent grinders. I'm always making sure to give you guys respect on my podcast, The Protect Your Neck Podcast, which I do need to get you back on, sir, for a top five. Um, I've got a couple people uh, that I'm, I'm I'm booking right now, but I'm booking for this year. So, Dan, I'm, I'm just going to say it on your program just to hold us both accountable here. I want you to think of a top five, sir, so we can get you back on. It's been too long since we had that really fun episode. We did top five underdogs, which is a real fun listen, especially to see where those guys went now. As Dan pointed out, most of them aren't underdogs. The, the bookies have caught on. But always a pleasure talking to you, sir. You all can follow me at Dan Tom MMA.
0: Yes, sir, we will speak very soon. For all the fans of Half the Battle, thank you guys so much for all your support. Make sure you follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, and now Spotify. And until the next time, let's cash these bets!